0: Hi, and welcome to Snacking with the Saints, the podcast where we eat snacks and talk about saints. I'm Andrea. And I'm Lena. Thanks for being here. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. We are here. We're ready. Yes, we are. We're excited. We are excited. Yeah. Because this is food and
1: saints, like it's saints and food.
0: Which is what we're about.
1: Exactly. So It's the culmination of all of it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) We've been wanting to do like foodie saints for a while, but it just hasn't come up. Yeah. But now we're committing. We are. Yeah. This gonna I be feel it. like our snacks are really good this week. Yeah.
1: I feel like we put our all into our snacks.
0: I feel like I did for sure. You did.
1: <laughs> I can attest to that because do you want to talk about your snack?
0: Yeah. Um, I made some homemade garlic hummus.
1: I was going to ask you if it was garlic because it it's it's bold but not like overly powerful. And yeah. And it's just the right balance.
0: Yeah. I love making homemade hummus. I think it's because I don't measure... And so I just like feeling it. It feels that's very like creative. a
1: Sign of a true cook. Like yeah. baking is very like precise, but cooking yeah. is so like.
0: No, yeah, I know. So feeling based hummus is just like how I'm feeling, and that's Ooh. I feel like very creative when I make hummus. So
1: like I can like tell your mood by like how the hummus is like. Through
0: I hope so. <laughs> I feel like this one I really nailed it because it's just like um, chickpeas, yeah. tahini, oil lemon and what kind of oil do you use i just have olive oil from costco but my dream is to somehow get olive oil from the holy land and (gasps) make hummus with that because that's the good stuff
1: that there's like a definite
0: difference i've heard if anyone wants to send me (laughs) olive oil from the holy land (laughs) do we have any listeners that (laughs) i would appreciate that yeah so i made hummus with just with pretzels
1: it was wonderful like because I
0: I have to tell you, I'm not
1: really a big hummus fan, oh, really? to be honest with you. Yeah. And I think it's because I just have had like the refrigerated store-bought hummus oh, yeah. and I'm like, oh, what's so special about it? But this, the texture of it is just way better. This one that you made and the oil, I just feel like it's a, a good balance. Yeah, I got
0: of, the balance right. Yes. Because when you're just adding and it's so few ingredients, the last hummus I made was very, very chunky. Like I didn't. Um, blend it enough. Yeah. Or get enough oil in. So this one's very smooth. So I was very proud how that one turned out.
1: Yeah, it was great. And it's very flavorful. And you have like converted me to like an Andrea hummus. Yay. (laughs) I'm excited. Um, My snack is a little bit different. It is chicken complimentary. Yeah, I think it is complimentary. It's chicken salad with crackers. Yeah. And there are all types of chicken salad, which I came to find out. Yeah. But this one has celery and grapes, which some people are like not a fan of fruit in their chicken salad. Yeah,
0: I'm not opposed. I am very heavily opposed to a sweet tuna.
1: Oh, I didn't even know that yeah. was a thing.
0: Like apples or like pineapple and like a tuna salad. Mm-mm. I'm opposed to that. Nope. I don't like or that.
1: raisins. No, there's really no need for raisins yeah. in anything.
0: <laughs> no, I'm really opposed to that. But in chicken salad, I can like depending on. Yeah, what how is it your take around. on
1: apples in chicken salad?
0: Yeah, same. Like yeah. that, I'm fine with that. Like I prefer a sweeter chicken salad in, like like we said, like a sandwich. Yes, because there's like stuff to balance it out on right. crackers. I like something a little just more plain, more savory. Yeah, yeah more savory on crackers. I don't yeah. know why that is because they're like both a carb.
1: They're both buttery, but yeah, buttery um,
0: carb. I don't know. It's yeah. just a weird thing.
1: Yeah. And we talked about it that for both of us, our favorite way to eat chicken salad is on a croissant. Yes. That's right? like
0: the most. There's something about that meal that just feels refreshing. Yes. Right?
1: It's like refreshing and comfort food yeah, at the same it's time. It's
0: light. I don't know. It's I light, think, but filling. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> something about that meal. I think, um, there is a place called Chicken Salad Chick we were talking about. Yeah. And one time we were on a family vacation in Florida, and they had just like a little kiosk on the beach, and they would just give you a tub of chicken salad and a tub of croissants, so you could picnic. Oh, that's like cute. a walk-up window. Yeah. I don't know. I Good think that's food, right? Yeah. I think that's why I just feel light when I eat. You think I feel about like the, I'm beach on the beach experience? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. And it's also
1: like something your mom would make. I feel like it's like one of those things like easy like to whip up like, you know, a weeknight meal type thing. So it's also kind of comfort food in that sense. Yeah. Whenever
0: my mom entertains like her go-to will be like just like a tub, even from like Walmart or Chick-fil-A. Yeah. But then she'll go get like a good bread or croissants and just cut them up and like have sandwiches out. Yes. The bread makes a
1: difference. Yes. It always makes a difference.
0: Yeah. I love chicken salad.
1: Yeah. I do too. And I love hummus now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Very snacky snacks. (laughs)
1: and mine has i mean it's kind of a stretch but mine has something to do with my saint i don't know does yours have absolutely
0: anything? nothing okay, awesome. other than i just wanted i wanted to feel like i was cooking something oh nice instead okay. of just like pulling something out that i yes. have been eating but i wanted to feel like i made something for you yes and
1: i appreciate that and i almost came with a cliff bar so i'm really happy i upped my game so <laughs> because you came without me do so that's awesome i i'm appreciative Thank yeah. you.
0: We said the theme, right? We said the theme already. Yes, the okay. theme is saints. Food and saints. Yeah, food foodie and saints. saints.
1: Well, saints I kind of s- like food. I want to just make it as broad as possible and say food and saints okay. because mine's pretty
0: broad. Okay, good. Yeah.
1: Because mine's not a foodie necessarily, but has a lot to do with food.
0: Yeah, which I feel like let's do a quick shout out because all of when we first thought food and saints, like we went to Saint Lawrence, who was yes. like the patron saint of chefs, <laughs> right? But like his story is literally that he was being martyred and they were grilling him over an open flame. Yes. And he said, turn me over. I'm done on this side. Right. So he's a patron saint of chefs and comedians.
1: Oh, and comedians? Yeah. I found that to be like very dark humor by the Catholic Church, but also kind of appreciated it. Yeah. It's
0: very dark, but very short. Right. So we thought St. Lawrence, mine um, was going to be St. Honoré, who was a French uh, bishop. Okay. But his story is also very, I don't know. We say small in the lies Cut and dry, same. just yeah. Like cut and dry. Like I don't even think as a. I think literally his story is that just, like, one time a French peasant woman thought to ask his intercession, and then, like, yeah. she had a great wheat harvest. Mm. So, like, even in his That's life, beautiful. there yeah. wasn't a lot about him, but it was more, like, kind of in his death, like, saint yeah. In his Yeah, almost. in his saintliness. Yeah, so there's a French um, pastry called Saint-Honoré's, and they're, like, it's, like, a puff pastry after him. And oh, he's cool. a patron saint of Baker's. <gasps> he is? Yeah, but, like, his story is, like, that short, just, like, okay. you have, I like, people would ask him for help with their wheat crop. Yeah. I like that
1: when we do shout outs, we're doing shout outs to like other saints in heaven. Yeah. I thought you were going to like bring up a person, but no. thats I mean, they are no, people, but but like, they're
0: like, for me, they were, well, that's where my brain went. Like yeah. They're, they're really the classics food right. relation. But for the podcast, we wanted to do like a little bit more of a story. Yeah. And just like, he'll help your wheat crop, you know? Yes. Um, <laughs> and then I looked up a recipe for St. Honoré's because I was yeah. like, what if I do St. Honoré and then make Lena St. Honoré's and it's too hard because oh it's goodness. like French pastry. Yeah.
1: Cool. Just... Anything French is gonna be. Yeah,
0: maybe one day I could experiment, but just like I was immediately stressed. We should we should
1: like do it together, and just that way, if we mess up, it's like yeah, then it's like a fun thing. Yeah, it's still a joint experience, which is part of the joy of cooking.
0: Right. Okay. That Mm -hmm. I'm de-stressed now,
1: (laughs) so there's no like pressure of performance. By right. Okay. Yeah. For sure.
0: So that's kind of really directly food related yes but Ours end, are neither a, of yeah. us went that way
1: yeah we both like without talking about it with each yeah. other we both went in a different direction and we haven't told each other our saints no, yet we just yet. said it's like this is kind of a stretch
0: yeah okay. I want to hear yours You want me I to go feel first? Like, yeah I want to hear yours first is that okay yeah for sure I feel like you're making me curious about how far you stretched it <laughs>
1: like it has nothing to do with food okay. no it does okay. um okay I've got a heavy hitter
0: Okay, I was kind of okay. Tell me,
1: <laughs> it's Saint Benedict.
0: Yay, Saint Benedict
1: of Nursia, um, but just really known as Saint Benedict. Yeah, um, and he is the patron saint of Europe. Nice, yeah. So big one um, of poisonings, which I'll get to in a little mm-hmm. bit, and school children. And his oh, feast I didn't know day, the school children. Yeah, and his feast day is July eleventh. Um, but he's mostly widely known as the father of monasticism, and mm-hmm. I'm going to go yeah. through what that is and, um, what his contributions are. But the reason I picked him for food is because in his rule of life, which I'll talk about what all that is, Mm um, he has a rule on food and drink and it is, I find that it is while people think monasticism is very like, Mm -hmm. um, strict and rigid, um, He's all about moderation in food. Mm -hmm. And normally when I come in here with my snack, it's like super indulgent. I bring like, Mm -hmm. you know, like this like chocolate Chocolate croissant.
0: croissant. I still (laughs) dream about it.
1: (laughs) Which is like wonderful and it's as good as a treat. But since we're doing saints and food, I felt like in this particular episode we should look at our relationship with food.
0: I'm mm, not, not ready. I'm not ready.
1: I'm not ready either. But I felt the Lord was just pressing this on my heart of looking at our relationship with food and how that can sometimes be a reflection of our spirituality and where we're at in our spiritual state. And Saint Benedict, I feel just kind of nails like that how we could look at food. And and he does it in a very compassionate and loving way, but also a firm and authoritative way. And I think the combination of those is what makes it just kind of like a killer rule of life um, related to food. So that's actually when- this
0: is exactly what I need. Oh, good. Okay, but I think I'm it's not something- ready, but I need it. <laughs> that's
1: that's even more powerful. And I think that this is something like that could speak to all of us mm-hmm. um, because I'm sure all of us have some relationship with food that's maybe not like what we're hoping it to be yeah Um, so okay so just to kind of give you a little bit of background um, I'd said he's the father of monasticism which Mm -hmm. is kind of considered that life of a monk yeah Um, he didn't invent monasticism but he really refined it and um, created the rules that a lot of monasteries use in present day even Um, so just talking about what monasticism is it's a practice of living apart from the world Usually in a community that follows a like-minded rule of life, and it's in order to grow closer to God. So mm-hmm. they kind of separate themselves from the world. In Saint Benedict's time, he was born like around the sixth century, and I, around that time, living apart was like living in a cave, yeah. like going out of the city and li- mm-hmm. literally living in a cave. And in today's world, it's there's monasteries where they all um, live together, right? And all all the monks of a particular monastery. Um, follow a rule of life. And so Benedictine monasteries have the rule like of St. Benedict. Mm-hmm. And so a rule of life is basically like a handbook for daily living um, that includes advice for both practical life and spiritual life. So St. Benedict's rule included like things like who should apologize first after an argument. Ooh, <laughs> and, like, I need that. How many times a day you should pray down to like what you should do with old underwear and like how to sleep with a knife you know because like back then they had like weapons and things I need
0: all those things
1: (laughs) do you need to know that
0: yeah I mean not anymore but when I lived in Houston by myself I slept (laughs) with a knife in my bed okay
1: yeah so it may still apply depending on yeah (laughs) the demographic and then how and when to eat yeah and how and when to eat which was what we'll look at in more detail but his rule of life is very specific and it goes through a lot of different aspects of how to just create a practice of living. And so monks not only follow the spiritual rules of life, their rule of life encompasses every part of their day, um, because spirituality is woven through all of it. Mm -hmm. And so here's, here's my, like, here's my hot take. I feel like, okay, people, when they see monks and living that monastic life, living that asceticism or living out, you know, in that, I don't want to call it solitary life because they're in community, but yeah. solitary from, like, modern-day culture, yeah. right? Um, it's like they think, oh, they're, like, devoid of feeling or they, can't, they don't enjoy life at all.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But my take is, is that because of their discipline and, like, that their rule of life is firm, um, they've got that discipline down so well and they've just kind of abandoned themselves to God. Like, they enjoy life better than we do. Yeah. You know, like they have a their surrender to the Lord is gives them like the most freedom, and so in kind of like in our world, um, like my hot take is like we live in a Costco world where like there's a lot of excess. You love Costco. I know, and see, this is the thing. Is like I know I'm going to just offend everybody by saying Costco, but it's not really Costco. What I mean is like bulk and living in yeah. excess instead of like oh, living sure. living off of our daily bread, mm-hmm. um, and the um, in the rule of life, I'll talk about how there's a seller. He's like, um, basically like the steward of all the material goods Mm -hmm. of the monastery. And he's the one that like allots the amount of food for each person. Interesting. But like a monk basically surrenders himself to that steward's um, discretion and their discernment of what they need. And so that
0: sounds like a hard job it is standing in front of someone and their food. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Well, and it t- create like it requires an incredible amount of obedience by the monk mm-hmm. and trust that mm-hmm. he would trust what the steward mm-hmm. decides for yeah. him. And so it's relational because it means that um, one person the steward has an incredible amount of responsibility to care for the person he's feeding and the person who is being fed has to have an incredible amount of trust in obedience, humility, and surrender to say that that's, that's what I'm given and that's should, that'll be enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, looking at that kind of um, zoomed out of like in the spiritual life, it's like really trusting, you know, our, their relationship with food is really a microcosm for like what the spiritual life is and trusting the Lord and the Lord's providence and not kind of storehousing things if, and using that as security, and I think that's like one of the things that I struggle with is I notice like when I'm stressed, I will like stockpile food. Like it's like if oh, I'm yeah. leaving on a trip and I'm leaving the kids and Royce, I'm like, I need to cook for them. I need to leave like a week's worth of food. Or like if we're going somewhere, maybe you just have like travel anxiety.
0: <laughs> but like if it's we're going, it's very anxiety some, inducing.
1: It is, <laughs> especially as a mom. Yeah. But if we're going somewhere, I'm like, do I have enough snacks for the kids? Do I have like everybody fed? And so there's definitely this maternal pull of making sure there's enough food. Um, That's kind of like one of my food issues that I I struggle with. And so, you know, that idea of not living in the excess and having like extra just in case um, and trusting in the Lord, it's like doing it down to that little daily practice of like, okay, I don't need two bottles of this. I could just use one. And when it's done, I know we'll have enough to go and get the next one. Mm -hmm. Um, That kind of thing is like when I can do it, practice it on that micro level, then it makes like, the stuff that's more abstract like our spiritual life easier to trust in the lord and so that's why i feel like his rule is so um, instrumental in that it's very clear and concise in how he lays out our like how what the relationship with food is um and then that practice makes it and you have to practice that every day through, you know for them they had two meals a day but you have to practice that all the time mm-hmm. and so when you can practice it in a little way can all the time, then when it comes to, like, a big step, it makes that easier. Um, So that was my hot take. So please don't send me hate mail about Costco because I'm not against Costco at all. I just was using that as a (laughs) metaphor. Um, Okay. So his big thing about food is not, like, restriction but moderation.
0: Moderation, yeah.
1: Okay, and I'm a big fan of moderation because Mm -hmm. it's, like, not too much, not too little. And that's especially important in cooking. Mm-hmm. And in baking too, is that you know if you have too much of something like a too much salt, for instance, mm, it's yeah. like you know overpowers it. It overpowers Ruins your senses. The whole meal, yeah. It, like you cannot enjoy it, right? It's mm-hmm. too overpowering. And if you have too little, it's like you're deprived of the full essence of like what it should be. Mm-hmm. So moderation is always that. Like, not, and when I used to teach kids how to cook, I was like, it's not too much and not too little. You got to stay in the middle. Mm -hmm. Um, because kids want to put like, you know, a ton of chocolate chips and stuff, but it all, it changes the dynamic. And so his rule of life is not really about deprivation or excess. It's just about finding what that moderation is. And there's flexibility within that rule because sometimes when we think of rules, we think of very rigid, you can't break a rule, but he allows flexibility within the rule of like having discretion for different needs of the monks. Um, and different ages of the monks and all of that and so that's where that compassion comes in. So that combination of compassion and moderation really makes it yeah. Um, like a fully fleshed out. Yeah. Um idea. I'll just
0: interject the rule as St. Benedict's using it comes yeah. from the Latin regula. Oh nice. Which is where we get like ruler, okay? Which when you think about drawing a straight line you use a ruler to kind of like guide it. Oh, so Regula okay. was also kind of used just kind of like more like a guidepost. Mm. When we hear like rule, we think like don't break it or else. Yes. But theirs is more like, um, like a guide, like a suggestion. Yes. Kind of like the way that you use a ruler to draw things, like stay right on the ruler, like it uses
1: it, it's there to help you.
0: Yeah, like a measuring stick, like right. a help. Yeah.
1: And instead of like trying to restrict you. Right. Um, I like that because that is very much the feel of how he writes. It's like it's, um, like a handbook yes you know it's like here here's things and he gives a lot of um leeway to the abbot who's like the head of the monastery Mm -hmm. um to say like you know use this at your discretion Mm -hmm. and so there's room for interpretation there um so just to kind of give you a little bit of background on saint benedict's life um before we kind of go into like the major parts of the food um he was born in 480 in in italy um and he was born of a good family and he was sent uh, by his parents to Roman schools Mm -hmm. and at that time Roman schools were really into teaching kids about rhetoric and how to use um rhetoric and the art of eloquence and speaking Mm -hmm. to um persuade others and so that that would help them in their like political lives for Mm -hmm. Rome and what Saint Benedict realized was like they were so focused on the style of rhetoric and not the content. So Mm. they didn't like the schooling didn't really care about the content. It was the way you said things so that you could convince that the other person Mm -hmm. or or a group of people, um, to believe what you're telling them. And so he just, even as like a teenager, he was just like, so like done with that idea, even though he was eloquent and schooled in it. And so he was like, I'm out of here. Like, I don't want this. So that's mm-hmm. when he decided to kind of go into the caves and into a life of like solitary prayer to be closer to God. And so he lived in a cave like for three years and still in Italy.
0: Wow. <laughs> you don't say that anymore. He lived in a cave, <laughs> yes.
1: which as a semi introvert, I feel like, you know, caves are underrated. I feel <laughs> <like>. <laughs> but, um, okay. So he lived there for three years alone and, um, furnished by with food and like his clothing by romanus a monk of one of the numerous monasteries nearby Mm -hmm. um so that's this life of like monasticism was already somewhat established um but there was something about saint benedict that made him like stand out and Mm -hmm. it was um his devotion to prayer as as he dedicated his life to prayer he just became holier and holier and like Fame of his, like, sanctity spread. And so people were coming to him and, like, wanting to learn his way. And so he became, he created a monastery and became abbot of one of those monasteries. And so I think he formed, like, maybe, like, 12 monasteries total at that time. And he was kind of, like, left in charge of all of them. And so he started to kind of create this rule of life. But, and, like, disciples flocked to him. Mm Mm-hmm but a lot of them wanted him them wanted him to like be in charge and and show them the way but then when he put this like reform on how to live mm. in in this certain way whereas mm-hmm. before monks were living in the caves with and they all kind of had their own quote unquote rule yeah. and so it was kind of creating chaos because nobody had this like one mm-hmm. defined rule so when he came in and they wanted that they wanted the defined rule
0: mm-hmm.
1: but then when they got the defined rule they were like i don't like this yeah. like they didn't want that
0: Um, they liked the idea of it
1: exactly it's like they craved the stability but then they didn't want it when they Mm -hmm. got it yeah and so it was like they resisted so much so that some of the monks tried to poison him and this is like why he's like a patron saint of poisonings and there's one story where like the monks tried to poison him with a glass of wine Mm -hmm. have you heard this yeah oh my gosh so he they tried to poison him with a glass of wine and saint benedict like blesses the wine like by doing the sign of the cross and the glass bursts. Mm -hmm. And so that's why he's, uh, I'll talk about this a little bit later, but he's also known for his like protection against evil Mm -hmm. just because his his sign of the cross was so powerful to just Mm like ward off any kind of poison or any kind of evil. But that was, that was kind of like a illustration of how much people resisted this change, this reform that he was putting in for uh, monastic life And so after, you know, getting or trying to be poisoned, he was like, okay, this is not where I need to be. And so he kind of fled there and went south um, and settled in a, the summit of a hill above Casino, which is like halfway between Rome and Naples. And so he, that area was still largely pagan, but people were converted by his preaching. And His sister, who's also a saint, St. Scholastica, um, came to live nearby as the head of a nunnery. And she died shortly before uh, St. Benedict did. And so he died, St. Benedict died in 542. um, And his feast day kept by the monks is March 21st, but by the church it's celebrated on July 11th. And so... St. Benedict is just most widely known for this rule of life that he yeah. created. And it says, St. Benedict displayed a spirit of moderation. His monks are allowed clothes suited to the climate, sufficient food um, with no specific fasting, specified fasting apart from the times observed by the Roman church, and sufficient sleep, seven and a half to eight hours. The mm. working day is divided into three roughly equal portions, five to six hours of liturgical and other prayer, Five hours of manual work, whether domestic, craft work, garden work, or field work, and four hours of reading of the scriptures and spiritual writings. This balance of prayer, work, and study is one of Benedict's legacies. Mm -hmm. And so he's, I think that kind of encapsulates that he had an equal balance of, you know, regular life of work and prayer and, and work. Uh, work and prayer was kind of like their hallmark too. Yeah. And so he really just defined what life should look like. And none of it was um, super excessive, you know, f- as far as mm-hmm. religious life, and especially compared to some of the asceticisms and the some that were required of um, or that were done by the other saints. And so um, I wanted to just look at that, the rule of life that he does have. And it's... It's like basically he has a several chapters, and each chapter is devoted to like a different part of life. And chapters thirty nine through forty one are about the rules of food and meal times. And so I wanted you to just hear. Um, I wanted to look at thirty nine and forty because that's the improper amount of food and proper amount of drink. Oh Lord! Um, <laughs> and rule forty one is just when to eat throughout the liturgical year. So um, it's just kind of talking to the monks about how that should be scheduled. But I just wanted you to hear it in his words in the English translation so that you could hear his firmness, but also his compassion Mm -hmm. and his understanding. So chapter 39 is about the proper amount of food. For the daily meals, whether at noon or in mid-afternoon, they didn't have breakfast, they just started their meals at noon. um, It is enough to believe to provide all tables with two kinds of cooked food because of individual weaknesses. So he's talking about different... Um, Like even different food allergies. In this way, yeah, in this way, the person who may not be able to eat one kind of food may partake in the other. Two kinds of cooked food, therefore, should suffice for all the brothers. And if fruit or fresh vegetables are available, a third dish may also be added. So he's very generous in the way Mm -hmm. he's allowing these portions to be. A generous pound of bread is enough for a day, whether only for one meal or for both dinner and supper. So they, the monks had two meals a day, and so one was around noon and one was their dinner. And so he's saying that that could be allotted. No
0: all-you-can-eat breadsticks. Yeah,
1: it's, it's not Olive Garden here, yeah.
0: <laughs> um, which is the moderation.
1: And in the latter case, the seller, which is the steward, will set aside one-third of this pound and give it to the brothers at supper. Should it happen that work is heavier than usual, the abbot may decide, and he will have the authority, to grant something additional provided that it's appropriate. Um, so he's looking at how much work they do throughout the day, mm-hmm. and if they're working harder, the abbot can give mm-hmm. them more. So there's a lot of leeway here and a lot of discretion allowed. And he says, and that above all, overindulgence is avoided, lest mm-hmm. a monk experience indigestion, which I feel like that's the part that kind of hones in. for. I know for me, I, that would probably. Yeah, I
0: have bad indigestion. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, okay, so it says, for nothing is so inconsistent with the life of any Christian as overindulgence. No! And I was like, oh, that just sums it up. Like, that's like where, you know, you'll see when you have an issue with the spiritual life, it infiltrates all the areas of your mm-hmm. other parts of your life. And mm-hmm. so sometimes looking at the day to day and where we're doing that just helps hone in on what that looks mm-hmm. like. And so um, for him to say that, that nothing so inconsistent with the life of Christian is overindulgence. I just felt like just was spot on. Mm-hmm. And he says, our Lord says, take care that your hearts are not weighed down with overindulgence. Luke chapter 21, verse 34. And the last part, young boys should not receive the same amount as their elders, but less, Mm. since in all matters, frugality is the rule. So kind of less is more here. And let everyone except the sick who are very weak abstain entirely from eating the meat of four-footed animals. Just so they were (laughs) vegans. Well, they chicken. Chicken, chicken and fish, oh, okay. which that's why I got you chicken salad with ah. the fruits and vegetables because that's kind of like it's what they, and bread. Ministic. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, bread as crackers, but like that's kind of the food, and not chicken salad, but like yeah. those are the types of um, mm-hmm. food products that they would eat. And so obviously they- So
0: very light.
1: Yeah. And yeah. so for the ind- indigestion piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that some of that has been maybe- in modern day, I'm yeah. sure they're allowed to eat beef and stuff. Now. Probably. Um, but that was kind of back in their day. And so that was his take on food, which, which is like the bulk of what I wanted us to look at is just that relationship with food and not to have the overindulgence yet. And he stresses that so clearly- Yet, he offers two different kinds of cooked foods. If there's fresh fruit and vegetables, he wants to partake in that. He wants them to have a pound of bread a day, like a generous helping of that. Mm -hmm. And then if you work more, you should have more. If you weigh less, like if you're younger, you should have less. And so it's very, he's looking at the whole person Mm -hmm. and not, it's like not, here's a diet and this is what you Mm -hmm. have to stick to. Mm -hmm. It's discretion. And that's so much more... uh, based in just like a balanced spirit. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's what made him so wise in creating this rule and why it's lasted you mm. know, for centuries and why yeah. it still continued to be looked at the way it does. And so I feel like if we can look at that in our relationship with food, that just we would see fruits of it in other parts of our life mm-hmm. as well. And so he also talks about um, – The proper amount of drink, which this is kind Mm -hmm. of entertaining for me because I think the rule was like that monks weren't supposed to have wine. But during this period of time in history, the monks complained so much about not having wine that he was like, okay, fine. Like, let's like work around this and figure it out. So he wasn't like a dictator in his rule. Like, Mm -hmm. he really heard the monks and was like, okay, you're going to complain about it. And like, this is, let's find a solution here. So he says. Everyone has, for chapter 40, the proper amount of drink, everyone has his own gift from God, one this and the other. It is therefore with some uneasiness that we specify the amount of food and drink for others. However, with due regard for the infirmities of the sick, we believe that half a bottle of wine a day is sufficient for each. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, you have to look at the time period yeah. as well. Um, but to those whom God gives the strength to abstain must know that they will earn their own reward. So I thought that was cool. It like, okay, if you really have to have wine, here's how much you can have. But if you abstain, you'll have an, a different reward mm-hmm. in heaven. And he talks about like the superior can determine based on the local conditions what's mm-hmm. enough. But he says he must in any case take great care, lest excess or drunkenness creep in. Mm-hmm. We read that monks should not drink wine at all, but since the monks of our day cannot be convinced of this. <laughs> Let us least agree to drink moderately and not to the point of excess. Yeah. For wine makes even wise men go astray. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was just really a a very fatherly way of looking at it. You know, it's like, I know what your weaknesses are. I know what your... able to withstand. So instead of making you grumble all the time, which complaining and grumbling was kind of like one of these things that he was like, we do not do that mm-hmm. um, as part of our humility. And that was mm-hmm. one of the basis of his spirituality. So to avoid that, he was like, let's bring it in a little yeah. bit to what you can withstand. And so, because at the end of the rule, it says above all else, we should, we admonish them to refrain from grumbling. Mm-hmm. Um, so just He's just so cool. I, to me, I feel like for when it comes to food and our relationship with food, like St. Benedict is known for so many things, but to me, it's like, okay, if you're struggling with like your relationship with food, like he's such a great saint to go to because Mm -hmm. he understands moderation so keenly. And Mm -hmm. so like to just ask for his intercession there um but he's really known so that's why it's kind of a stretch because nobody thinks about when they think about saint benedict they don't think about food they're no, like
0: but there there's a lot <laughs> to there, learn there there is yeah. yeah i mean he i think
1: there's so much to him that he and he writes so eloquently about so many parts of life that you know it's hard to hone in for him so mm-hmm. people hone in on the major things like the conqueror of evil and yeah um all of those and just patron saint of Europe. Um, but the last couple of things I wanted to mention is that um, the Benedictine like monks are known for their hospitality. Yeah, That's like their quote unquote charism. And so mm-hmm. um, it's because they have this deeply rooted belief instituted by St. Benedict that all guests who arrive be received like Christ. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about food, um, hospitality comes kind of hand in hand with that. Because when we share a meal with other people or we invite people into our home to have dinner hospitality and is a key part of like inviting them in and, and the point of breaking bread together mm-hmm. so not just like what we're eating but how we're eating yeah and how you treat your guests and that St Benedict was so much about seeing Christ in the other person even when they were cranky and all of those things that mm. it was more our response to that Sheds more light on who we are than what they're struggling with. Dang it! I know so much truth, so much truth. So he just understood hospitality, which I think takes food to that like higher yeah. level of what why why the Eucharist is so important, why breaking bread, mm-hmm. why the table and the altar are so a part of our faith is because yeah. um, we see that who we break bread with and who Jesus broke bread with mm-hmm. was not like that we see Christ in every person yeah, and we treat them like that. And so you can actually go to a Benedictine monastery and stay with them.
0: I have. Have you really? Yeah. In college we did a pilgrimage to Ireland. Oh, um, nice. And so we stayed in a Benedictine monastery that was a boy's school during the school year. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Okay. So so what was
1: their hospitality like?
0: Um, I mean, mostly, so I think they use their hospitality as also a way to get income for their monastery. Sure. Yeah. So that was something like really common. Yeah. Like it's just a general practice, general practice. So they really just kind of, of, um Welcomed you, but then, like, you it was. I don't want to say like staying in an air, it was kind of like, here's the keys to our castle. Literally, that's sweet. <laughs> Honestly, now, do it they it was a literal castle?
1: Do you just when you stay there, do you partake in their daily life?
0: Uh, they, yeah, we could. Okay. If you wanted to. So some people woke up early for the prayers with them. I did not.
1: Yeah. <laughs> You're like, this is my vacation.
0: Yeah. Well, also like the jet lag. But some oh, yeah. people did. And we did yeah. do um, daily mass with them. Oh,
1: very cool. Uh,
0: but it was the pilgrimage. So we went to some holy sites when we were on site. We did. Yeah. But really like, um, and they showed us around. Like they did different tours during the day. So okay.
1: That's cool. One.
0: Like one day you could go learn about the history of the castle. Oh, one sweet. day you could like go walk through the gardens, and they just pointed out all the different stuff that they had planted on the grounds. Yeah. Um. I think one day there was a tour of like just who was buried at their cemetery. Oh, cool. Because it was like an old cemetery. Yeah. Yeah. It was so awesome. you got,
1: you kind of used it more of like a place to stay, but you were out most of the day. Yeah, and would so come back as kind like of a they refuge. Were hosting us. Yes. Yeah. So it
0: was kind of like almost like an Airbnb experience. Yeah. Where they were just like, here's our house. But isn't there also,
1: yeah, like you can just make yeah. it, make it your home. Isn't there some, or do some people stay like to kind of immerse themselves in like the Benedictine life?
0: Yeah, you can. Okay. And I know like, just like, um, I haven't done it, but I knew a lot of people like in college and like when I worked at a college Yeah, at UD, um, there's. These orders that have a hospitality charism. Mm-hmm. Like if you're like a young student, you can like say like, hey, I wanna come and like live with you guys in Italy. Yeah. And like work with you guys. That's but what also i also like on uh, the weekend. Hearing. I'm gonna go like sightseeing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they'll just like put you <laughs> kind up. Kind of have the best of both. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I I've known there's Which people that's kind of
0: what we did. We yeah. came in and they fed us and we sight you know, they that's were around. Yeah. yeah.
1: I know that there's I wanna say there's a place in New Mexico. Um, that is like a Benedictine monastery where you can just like go almost like on retreat. Yeah. And so you lit like basically live with them for eight days and you're just, um, follow their way of life. And mm-hmm. they just like take you in as one of their own. And I want to like, do that. I know. I that like sounds so that cool. Kind of retreat. Yeah. Right. And so you pray and work and it's just, you eat together and, um, St. Benedict was very much about communal life mm-hmm. and that no voice was like louder than the other and except for like the authority, like yeah. the abbot or the steward, but um, there was such a shared way of life and that that was really Christian living. And so um, just a good reminder of the need for community. Um, just a last bit on St. Benedict. Um, I do want to just um, note that the St. Benedict medal, yeah, um, which is very popular and um, that you'll see um, sometimes they're on scapulars and um, you can just get the medal and um, you want to get them blessed, but they're known for like protection of the home Mm -hmm. and so you can get a blessed medal and put in your home um some people put them like on the windowsill or like entrances of the doors Mm -hmm. um like at the top of the door but it's just more of it's not the physical um medal itself but it's the the blessing that comes with it right um, and the intercession of saint benedict that he would just kind of um be a protection for the house against Mm -hmm. evil in any way and so if you feel like that's something that's helpful um I'm a big proponent for St. Benedict and his intercession in that way. And so, and especially with kids having a physical, tangible thing that they could see Mm -hmm. to say like, oh, St. Benedict's like helping to protect us, I think is really sweet too. So just a um, plug for St. Benedict medals.
0: Yeah. You know, he is Luis's uh, friend saint. St. Benedict is. He is? Yeah, because after he went on like a retreat and had a big like reversion moment. Oh, nice. And afterwards, people kept giving him St. Benedict medals <laughs> randomly.
1: Like St. Benedict was coming to him. Yeah. Oh, and he's that's still cool. Like,
0: I don't know if he would say he has a devotion to him, but yeah. he's still like that. He knows that that is like a special thing for him. Yeah, I love Because they were just all the time randomly getting St. Benedict medals. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, so he's like, I got you in yeah. heaven. He's like, I'm watching Oh, for you. For I love Luis. that. Yeah, so we love St. Benedict here. Yeah,
1: St. Benedict pray for us.
0: So, my saint worked a little bit as a cook. Oh, nice. So, that was my food. Okay, food connection, connection. is cook. That's okay. really it. Just that she was a cook. Yeah. St. Faustina. Oh, I love St. Faustina. Faustina. Yeah. And we have our Divine Mercy on the table.
1: Yeah, It's usually
0: on a shelf, but we're redecorating, so it's on the no, table everybody needs
1: a Divine Mercy picture in True. their house. It's
0: truly, yeah. We have for two. Real. That one's my grandmother's. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, after she passed, I took it. So. Oh, I love yeah. that. Um, okay, St. Faustina. I do want to say... Her life is so deeply inter- intertwined with the divine mercy that yeah. I'm kind of doing more of a flyover of her life. Okay. And less about the divine mercy, just because it's like. That's its
1: own episode oh, in itself.
0: Like a series. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, more just like an overview of her life. And then I want to shout out when me and Greg thought we were going to do a cooking show together. Wait, what? That was the snack part. We were going to like. Oh, it was going to be a cooking show? It was going to be like kind of, yeah, cooking. So he brought pierogies and did St. Faustina oh, for nice. our first attempt. Yeah. Now, did he cook it? Like No, they were frozen. <laughs> <laughs> so shout out. Um, So that's, he's why I knew she was a cook because we had, that's so he cool. told me about her life. Yeah. Um, but so a callback to the yeah, original. Yeah, callback. This is a callback <laughs> to our roots. Okay. So Sister Faustina, she was born in 1905 in Glagowick Poland. Also, if anyone's Polish and listening, I apologize deeply. Because I re- realize doing this Polish is a hard language.
1: It is a hard language to so I
0: So many apologies. Uh, so she was born into a big family. She's actually number three of ten kids. And her nice. family was very religious, but also very poor. Okay. So, and I just think all throughout this, the theme of her life is just like meekness and humility. Oh. It starts from there. Fun fact: I didn't know she was actually born and named Helena and baptized as Helena. So oh, I never knew that yeah. Faustina wasn't her name. Yeah. Her name used to be Helena. So, so
1: Faustina was the name she took as a yeah, man? as a religious. Okay. So she
0: was born Helena, and uh, reports are that she, from a very very early age, loved to pray. She was very obedient, very sensitive to the needs of others, very hard worker. Mm-hmm. And so um, that that theme was true until she was about seven. Um, that's when she reportedly first vocalized that she wanted to join a religious order at seven. Yeah, that's cool. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So just very holy from a young age, which yeah. I need to interview her mom. And ask her. <laughs> like, what did you do? Yeah. Um, so it said that at the age of nine, when she made her first Holy Communion was when she kind of felt her religious vocation affirmed, which again is so young. And I don't know how this works, but apparently she only went to school for like three years or so because she wanted to become a nun.
1: And you could become a nun that early in life? I guess you could,
0: but her parents wouldn't let her. Okay. So uh, she, at the time, around the age of 16 is when she just kind of uh, went out on her own to work and send money home to her family. Yeah. So again, very... Uh, very meek. I didn't know she wasn't educated. Yeah. Because when you think of her, she's... Her writing Wrote. Yeah. Yeah. So that's crazy. It's just like that speaks there. even
1: more to her writings. Yeah, though. right? Yeah.
0: So that was a cool thing for me to learn. So age of 16, she's out on her own. She's working as a housekeeper to, like I said, uh, support herself, but also support her family. Yeah. And the whole time, her family says she can't be a religious sister, but she still has that desire. And then uh, this is going to... I don't know. This hit me... In the gut, very hard. Tell me how it hits you. Okay. (laughs) But at the age of 18, she's out at a a dance in a park with one of her sisters. Mm -hmm. Um, And at this point, she still wants to be a nun. Her parents won't let her. They say, you have to work and send money home. She's at this party, and she has a vision of Jesus suffering in his passion. Mm -hmm. And he says to her, get ready. You're going to cry. How long will I put up with you, and how long will you keep putting me off oh <laughs> like jesus sugarcoat it a bit is how i felt <laughs> that i would need jesus it's to like, drop no- the hammer yeah <laughs> like, tell us how you really feel jesus dang and like she's at a party exactly like, so when i read that i don't think we should
1: <laughs> question jesus's timing or his approach it's just that's like hopefully, hits you right yeah, in the heart hopefully
0: jesus knows us all so well that uh he wouldn't talk to me that way because I think I would just cry forever. <laughs> well, but what was her response? She, like, the next day left and got on a train to Warsaw to go find a convent.
1: So, like, he knew, like, the true desire of her heart. Right. And, like, she was so displaced from it that he yeah. was, like, get back to, like, yeah, what like, sown like, in your heart. Yeah, literally, like, the next day.
0: Without oh, her that's parents' so approval, or permission. Okay, I'm,
1: I'm back on board with okay. what Jesus said because okay. I feel like he really, like, My it was, feelings
0: like, were really hurt when I read that. Okay, but think about it though. Like
1: he knew what she really wanted, yeah, and he was like pointing her back to her first love.
0: Okay, it's all right then, I guess. I think the part like, how long will I have to put up with you? I would be like, forever, Jesus. Okay, this is how I am. That's how what I would say, and then I would just like, stay. You knew what you were I would just you. stay put and cry, which he knows that about me.
1: So he may have worded it differently for you. Yeah,
0: It just felt like I imagined Jesus. <laughs> really tired of me that's anyway anyway but for St. Faustina it worked the next day she's on a train to Warsaw she left with nothing just the clothes on her back Wow, very it. cool so Saint Francis yes she gets to Warsaw and the first thing she does is she goes into a church St. James Church which I think is still there for my research nice so she got off the train went to church and went to a mass and she approached the priest there I'm not going to attempt his name just a Polish priest <laughs> And kind of said, hey, I'm here. I want to be a sister. Wait, I, do I, do? I
1: really want to know the name of the I'm just kidding.
0: I don't know because there's weird symbols on it that I don't no. even know what that means. It's not
1: weird, but like just unknown to us, foreign to us.
0: Oh, not weird. Yeah. Something strange to my eyes that they don't recognize. Father <laughs> Dabrowski, maybe. But I don't know what the that, weird symbols do. Okay. We got to stop calling it weird. Dang it. I'm so sorry. Unknown. Unknown <laughs> symbols. Um. So he was a good, he recommended a woman that he knew who was local and he like had a connection with her and said, Hey, oh, cool. I know you can stay here and oh, while you nice. look for a convent.
1: So just like transitioned her. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome.
0: So St. Faustina went to several convents in Warsaw, but everyone turned her down. And one Fine. of them, well, one of them said, we don't accept maids here. Rude. Yes. So, I think just, like, her poverty was really evident. Oh. And so, they wouldn't take her. And maybe her lack of education, all those things, they wouldn't take but her. But isn't in.
1: poverty, like, one of the? Yes. But maybe at that time, it wasn't as...
0: I don't know. Because this is just in the 1900s. But I, yeah. I know, like, we know there's a history of convents having, like, accepting a dowry. Remember?
1: Yeah, right, right.
0: So, they... Some of that might They have were turning her down. Oh. So, she stayed and was searching for a convent. And then... um. This feels like the searching
1: for an inn.
0: Yeah. Right? like that. Yeah. So she ended up finding the congregations of the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy. Okay. And the Mother Superior there decided to give her a chance, but that she would have to work and pay for her own religious habit. So I think there was some kind of monetary support yeah. issue. Right. So that's what she did. She worked as a maid and knew nothing about the convent, except that that was the one that said yes to her, and that's mm-hmm. what she was entering. Oh, cool. So, eventually, she does make the money. She, like, makes deposits on it. So, she's working and paying off her habit. And eventually, in 1926, she's just 20 years old. She eventually um, enters into this order. And that's when she takes on the name uh, Sister Maria Faustina, which I also found this out in my research. Of they think Faustina is the female equivalent of the Roman martyr Faustinus. Okay. Who was killed in A.D. 120. Which I always wondered, like if she was the first Faustina, because it wasn't like a, you know, like Mary Elizabeth, or you know, like where it came from. Yeah, so I thought I was like, oh, oh, and then when she did take her first religious vows, her parents were there, which I thought that was nice. That eventually they came eventually. Yeah. So let's see. In 1923, she went to a convent in Wilno. So now it's Vilnius. Vilnius which is the capital of Lithuania and this okay. is where she was the con in the convent where she was the cook yeah she was there for a short short time but this is when she would meet father Michael Sopako? Uh-huh. don't think I'm saying that right but he would become very important in her life later on he yeah. was the main priest who helped support her mission of divine mercy oh, okay so this is when she meets him so yeah just keep that that's back neat in your head. Uh, like pivotal character right so she goes from Vilnius and then uh, back to Poland for a few years Mm-hmm. And then when she's back in Poland in 1930, she gets very ill. And she would actually stay ill for a while. Mm. We think now she had tuberculosis, but mm-hmm. she was sent to a nearby farm to recover. And then after this time is when we first kind of get onto the divine mercy happenings. Yeah. Yeah. So she wrote that in 1931. She was in her cell in Plock. And she says it was this time when Jesus appeared to her wearing a white garment with red and red rays coming out of mm-hmm. his heart. And in her notebook, she wrote that this is what Jesus said to her. Paint an image according to the pattern you see with the signature Jesus I trust in you. Mm. I desire that this image be venerated first in your chapel and then throughout the world. I promise that the souls that venerate this image will not perish. But she didn't know how to paint. Yeah. (laughs) So she got that message and she approached nuns um, in her convent for help, but no one was able to paint. Yeah. So that was in 1931. So in 1933, she's transferred back to Vilnius to work as the gardener to grow vegetables for the kitchen. Cool. There's another, yeah. There's another food connection. So she's here for three years. And uh, it's a very small, uh, very kind of, what's the word? Oh, my gosh. My mind just blanked. Small, secluded convent. Yeah. So that's where she's at. And she, again, is meeting uh, Father Michael Sapakko. Sop- and he is newly, very recently appointed to be the confessor for the nuns there at the secluded convent. Okay, And he was also, it's important, he worked at the, a university in town and he was the, a professor of theology. Okay. So when she, when St. Faustina went for the first time to confession with him, she told him about the visions and conversations that she was having with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And she told uh, Father Sopaco that she, Jesus had a plan for her. And after hearing these confessions for a while, uh, Father Sopako insisted that she get a complete psychiatric evaluation. Mm -hmm. Just to... I don't know. I think sure. that's kind of par for the course yeah.
1: is like just to make sure that there's no other yeah, element the, here. They're like
0: visions and not hallucinations. Yes. There's, there's a difference. Yeah. Um, which I think is
1: their due diligence. Yeah.
0: yeah. So she was completely, you know, they did a lot of tests and she was declared completely of sound mind. So after this is when he decided to support her efforts. So he, uh, Sister Faustina told Father Supako about the image that she was supposed to make. Mm-hmm. So in 1934, which also I just want to point out, it's been like three years at this point. Since yeah, she's seen it, right, and I think that's like such a thing about God's timing that He was just like gentle and said, so "This needs to happen," and it yeah. wasn't overnight, I right? Think it's it wasn't so, like
1: an emergency, like right. make it happen right now. He yeah. knew it was going to take time because
0: He was working with people; like He could have made it happen. Yeah. So when I was reading this, I was just struck by the timeline. Yeah. You know? I don't remember really growing up without an image of the divine mercy around. So yeah. you just think it's something that was just it's so prevalent now, so prevalent, but yeah. that it took a while for it to even happen was crazy to me. Um. Anyway, she. So Father um, introduced her to an artist at the university, a professor in art at the university. Uh, I do, I do want to shout out the artist because I think he's pretty well-known, yeah. which I guess I could have looked up how to say his name. It's Eugene Murowski. and he was a professor at the university. Uh, her, con- her confessor obviously knew him because they were coworkers, so I l- thought that was an interesting, like, how he had a connection. Yeah. So June 1934, the image is painted, and she's kind of, you know, giving him direction on what it should look like. And it's totally based off of her mind's image of Jesus, the yeah. one that she saw. Uh, St. Faustina writes in her diary that on Good Friday in 1935, Jesus told her that he wanted the divine mercy image that she had painted to be publicly honored. So a week later. I love how
1: just casually it's like Jesus just drops by and is like, yeah. I'm going to tell you a message. Like that's how her spiritual life is. Is that yeah. He's so connected to her and so in communion with her.
0: Yeah, and then so uh, just a week later, uh, Father Sepalco delivered his first sermon on the Divine Mercy, and then Sister Faustina was there at that mass. The image was displayed, and that would have been the second Sunday of Easter in September 1935. Is when uh, Sister Faustina wrote of a vision about the Chaplet of the Divine Mercy, and so at this time she's trying to you know write the Chaplet, and she wrote that the purpose of the j- Divine Mercy was these three things: uh, to obtain mercy to trust in Christ's mercy and to show mercy to others, yeah. which I liked learning that. Cause I knew about like to get mercy and to trust in mercy, but I didn't know like the part that were of showing mercy to others. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Like it's a fruit of it. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: So I liked that. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Um, so in 1935, after she, you know, got the image out there, she's writing about the chaplet at this time. She also starts petitioning to make a new contemplative order on, uh, the Divine Mercy, completely devoted to the Divine Mercy. So, and she, so that's what her goal is. She's trying to start that. Um, in 1936, is when she is starting to get all of that um, in order. And then I liked this this quote when she's starting to start her new order. She said that Jesus told her, "My daughter, do whatever it is within your power to spread devotion to my Divine Mercy. I will make up for what you lack." Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. So I thought this was interesting timing. It's 1936, and she's putting all her energies towards keeping her diary and starting her new order. Yeah. This is also, again, when she becomes ill again with her tuberculosis. Okay. So at this t- time, she's moved to a hospital in Krakow, and uh, all she's really doing at this time in her life is just praying the chaplet and praying for the conversion of sinners yeah. and keeping her <laughs> diary again. Um, and that's what she did for the last two years of her life. That's pretty much it. So in 1937, uh, uh, she had a vision that there would be a feast of the Divine Mercy eventually, and it would be celebrated in her local chapel. And she saw large crowds attending, and that um, the same celebration would be held in Rome and attended by the Pope. So she had that vision. Uh, then in 1937 uh, is when the first holy cards of the Divine Mercy were printed. So I thought that was interesting too because – I have divine mercy cards everywhere, you know, so 1937 and when she's sick is when they're first printed. This is also when in August of this time when, um, Jesus gives a message that he wants novena for the divine mercy. (laughs) So her and father Zapaco start writing that. Yeah. And then, um, so that this whole time they're just with father Zapaco, they're just getting the message of divine mercy out there. He's preaching on it and they're making pamphlets that have the chaplet and the novena and the image on it. Which I feel like, I don't know. Tell me if you know this, but isn't there like a red pamphlet that has the picture of Divine Mercy on it that has like the novena and chaplet in it?
1: Yeah. The divine mercy chaplet, like how to pray it. Yeah. It's so just like you, a yeah.
0: red pamphlet. That's just like everywhere. Yes. Right. Yeah. It's that's like what I was picturing for, when I read about that. Yeah. Pamphlet.
1: Like they designed that.
0: I don't know if they designed that one, but that I know one, like, but like the same pamphlet I've seen in my life. Yes, I feel like there's just, you know, like at my mom's house, if I open a drawer, there's just like one in there. <laughs> yeah. I have like one stuffed in like Bibles, you know? So Right. It's like again, the gold
1: standard for divine mercy <laughs> pamphlets. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I just like, was reading about them making that pamphlet. And I'm like, that's so funny. They're just like always around now. Yeah. You know, just reading about them making yeah, so something like that. so commonplace now. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's just so cool that it happened so recently, relatively speaking within church history. Yeah. That the Lord is still like unfolding his plan within, you know, the 2000 year history of the church that, just, you know, some 19, I was 100 years ago, yeah. there was still like this major part of our faith that was exactly. unveiled. That's just so cool to me.
0: Yeah. Uh, one thing that I thought was sweet was that in November of 1937, um, is at this point, she was trying to start her order, but she was still a part of another one. Her mother superior would come and, While she rested in bed would show her the pamphlets that she had, you know, helped write and work on. So I just had a beautiful image of that, of her resting and someone like showing it to her
1: Uh um,
0: while her not being able to go out herself. Yeah. Towards the end of 1937, she's still getting sicker and sicker, but she is having her visions intensified okay um so father chapaco said as he would go visit her she was really looking forward to the end of her life because <laughs> the sicker <laughs> she got the more intimately connected she became with jesus
1: oh there's so much symbolism there yeah. like through the suffering yeah yeah that's um, awesome
0: i think at one point she had been back in the convent but now she's back in the hospital in april of 1938 and one so she stayed in there in the hospital from april all the way to september and then Father Sipako said one time he visited her and she was close to death, but in ecstasy as she was praying. Mm-hmm. So just like that deep mystical connection. Yeah. Um, and then later that month, she was taken back to Krakow. Just at that point, they were just waiting for her to pass. The last time Father Sipako visited her was in September 26 in 1938. Um, and then she passed away on October 5th in 1938. So just like a couple weeks later yeah. at the age of 33, which is the Jesus here.
1: Oh, wow. You That's know? cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just even more yeah. intimately connected. So I thought
0: that was interesting. Yeah. And so she rests at the Basilica of Divine Mercy in Krakow. Okay. Um, and one thing that I thought was cool was that in 1965, the Archbishop of Krakow, Karol Wojtyla, mm-hmm is the one who like opened the process for her life to be investigated okay. for beatification. Yeah. And then when he became Pope John Paul II, he Aww. is the one who had her canonized in oh, April that's of beautiful. 2000. So isn't that cool? Just full circle. Yeah. Yeah. And then I saw something that called her the secretary of God's mercy. Cause she just wrote down everything. <laughs> Jesus said. So I thought that was funny.
1: That's beautiful. Just the messenger.
0: Yeah. And then yeah. I want to close with this quote. Um, from her diary, it's Jesus talking to her. He says, I sent prophets wielding bolts to my people. Today, I'm sending you with my mercy to the people of the whole world. I do not want to punish aching mankind, but I desire to heal it, pressing it to my merciful heart, which I loved. So I've never beautiful. read the diary. Okay, yeah. Um, I've seen parts of it. Yeah, just same. Like, like little, yeah. But I loved that because I think a lot of times I, a lot of people, yeah, sure. <laughs> will say like, you know, why isn't God, like, talking to us, like, through a burning bush? Or, like, through, Yeah, like, like
1: why aren't we experiencing God the yeah, way, like... a cloud yeah.
0: of mm-hmm. a tornado, a fire right <laughs> at night, yeah. right? Um, Physical so, forces. Yeah. yeah, I kind of, like, like that Jesus kind of almost hears that in us. Yeah. Like, where's, where's the burning bush? And the he's longing. Like, I've sent the thunderbolts. Yeah. You guys didn't listen. <laughs> that didn't work. Yeah, I'm sending... A message of mercy now. Yes. Through someone meek and humble. Yeah, which is so symbolic of like the New
1: Testament yeah, message, right? Yeah. So that's so beautiful. Yeah. I love that.
0: So that was St. Faustina. Not really food related, but again, in humility, she served as a cook and as yeah, a, gardener a gardener and a maid. Just as all she things. was like receiving messages from right? Jesus,
1: right? Like it wasn't like, um, I can't do that kind of work because I'm like getting these heavenly messages. It was like- all the more reason to humble herself and, and do the work of like yeah feeding others. That's cool.
0: Yeah. And like I said, we could go into like more detail of like how the whole message of the divine mercy, but I think
1: also, didn't she like feed us the divine mercy message? I mean, yeah. See,
0: it right to us. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a connection. (laughs) I just felt like that was like the overview. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Maybe one day we'll go more in depth into divine mercy. Yeah. Yeah. After Easter, but yeah. St. Faustina pray for us. Please pray for us.
1: Yeah, I love her. Yeah. She's a beautiful now, saint.
0: I like her. I all I knew was that she got the divine mercy, but I feel like um I really enjoyed researching her.
1: Yeah, it, and just kind of talking about her meekness of that she received those messages, but she was so obedient to her confessor mm-hmm. that when he was like you need a psychiatric evaluation or like to wait and yeah. that she listened. Waiting, yeah. yeah, that it, it, she didn't like pull a pride card and be like okay you know no jesus is speaking to me so i'm gonna listen to him over you Mm. like that Mm -hmm. she listened to her they're like i'm not
0: crazy you're crazy yeah that she
1: listened (laughs) to her direct authority and in that obedience the lord rewarded her even more that i just thought that was such a beautiful part of her character yeah
0: i really want to read the diary now yeah maybe audiobook it because I don't have a lot of time to read but yeah I'm or just like
1: in bits and pieces yeah
0: I want to read it now yeah. so we'll see hopefully that'll happen one day who knows yeah well thank you for picking yeah. her I love her yeah. I feel like we picked some
1: big names we did in the Catholic church here oh for sure yeah
0: these are big ones these are
1: good ones to go to and
0: food food, food or not yeah
1: I mean so food, yeah food related or not they are ones we to did go it to. we
0: did it yeah. <laughs> um before we do blessing and burdens yeah. i'll just address the elephant in the room just in case in editing i can't erase a trace <laughs> the of tiniest
1: elephant in the yeah.
0: room yeah so we adopted i don't know if i want to say he's my blessing do i say just go with he's my yes, blessing he's
1: adorable
0: um we adopted a rescue pup from the shelter about a month ago tell them his full name bruce wayne is his first name <laughs> His middle name is Francis, First Saint Francis. Oh, I love that. His last name is Toral, which is because he's part yes. of our family. And then he had four names at that point. So I felt like he needed an earldom. So he's the first <laughs> earl of Samuel. Because you Because that's where we live. Um, <laughs> and he's a seven pound chihuahua mix. I
1: mean, I cannot do justice on how cute he is. He's
0: pretty cute. He's kind of a hot mess when, so I don't think you're going his, to hear his nails clicking, but you might hear him barking and just being distracting. It's just part of the cute factor. Well, yeah.
1: Maybe some chewing, but.
0: Eventually, yeah, him dropping his bone. Eventually yeah. we'll have a place for him where he can be quiet in the house, but I guess I'll make him my blessing. I think, yeah, no, we love him. He's, he's great. He's a hot mess express for sure. He's an element of chaos in our lives. But needed. Yeah. Like just sometimes you so need that. So he'll On be my this. blessing. Um, I think my burden this week is not, well, I guess it's a burden. My sister was in town for two weeks, nice. which is not a burden. But you know, just like when you're like. <laughs> we, yeah,
1: we don't want to leave it at that.
0: <laughs> no, for me, it's more just like our life schedule was completely thrown off. Oh, for Gotcha. The routine. Piece. yeah. So yes. like there's piles of laundry yes. and like the house is a mess just because we were like, so the catch up. Yes. Yeah. I'm in catch up mode and it's yes. like a I'm little overwhelming you. right now. That's so that's like, my burden.
1: Yeah. That's like when you travel and then it takes yeah. like weeks to unpack your suitcase. That's yeah. kind of like
0: it. I'm, I'm in, in that it. except we didn't travel anywhere. We just had family in town. In town so. Yeah. That's kind of my burden. But yeah, I mean, not I get a bad that. burden, just a little overwhelm. Here.
1: Yeah, I get that. So, Mine's kind of on a related note of, I'm going to start with burden, is clutter. Mm, clutter mm-hmm. is my burden because I'm not someone who um, maybe like continually keeps up so that the, it's like clutter free in our house. I wait until it's like I can't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of go on like a mini rampage with like a black trash bag and I'm like mm. everything needs to go like we can't we don't need any of this yeah um and so I'm kind of at that point where I'm like we're about to start the school year and so I'm mm-hmm. like okay we need to clean up we need our space to be clear and open so I, I haven't decluttered where I like feel that ah oh, this is so much better mm-hmm. I'm in that like I can't stand this I need to yeah. like declutter piece um so that's My burden, um, my blessing is related to St. Benedict because it's one of my all-time favorite books about St. Benedict. Oh, yeah. One of my all-time favorite books, and it happens to be about St. Benedict. It's written by a Benedictine monk um, named Augustine Weta, and it's called Humility Rules, and it's called St. Benedict's 12-Step Guide to Genuine Self-Esteem. And I recommend this book to everyone. Like, I'm like, everyone needs a copy of this book, and especially like... I feel like it can be read like from teenage level up. Like I feel like if I read this as a teenager and you can reread it over and over Mm -hmm. again, but it just gives you a good solid foundation for self-esteem that's rooted in humility versus like, I need to think better about myself. Like he kind of breaks all those Mm -hmm. cliches and it's like, no, you need to think less of yourself and then Mm -hmm. you'll feel better. Um, But it basically goes off St. Benedict's, spirituality which it says like according to saint benedict the body and soul are like two sides of a ladder in which god has built various steps the ladder becomes your life and as your heart is humbled so the lord will lift you up to heaven so he gives you these 12 different traits of humility that allow you to kind of ascend that ladder and to, um, mm. to divin like to the divine life Mm -hmm. and the reason I like it is the monk who wrote it he's a high school teacher oh and like a rugby coach and so he he kind of writes like two teens in a certain way like he the pictures in there are like these classic like monk pictures but like he photoshops them onto a skateboard or like (laughs) surfing so he makes it very relatable and then everything every step he gives you like practical advice to tell like how to do it in thought word and deed So it's just very practical ways of living out humility, which can sometimes seem like this very like um, abstract idea. And so he really boils it down to how to live out those things from Saint Benedict. And so I've often referred to that. I've read it and reread it, and that has continued to be like a blessing in our home. So it's called Humility Rules. I have no like affiliation with them at all, but um, you can get it on Amazon. But it's a great book. Easy, Easy read, short read um keep it on your bookshelf give it away to other people that's my blessing i'm (laughs) gonna get it
0: brucey just shook his ears really hard sorry (laughs) all right yeah i'm on fire for saints and food me too thank you so much you guys bye y'all bye thanks for listening to this episode of snacking with the saints Snacking with the Saints is a member of the Spoke Street Catholic Podcast Network. If you enjoyed today's episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating or leave us a review. You can also subscribe to be alerted when we drop our newest episodes. You can find us on Instagram at snacking.saints.pod. Come on over, tell us your blessing and burden for the week. Maybe we'll share it on air. And please remember to keep us in your prayers. We're definitely praying for all of you.